Welcome to Stuck in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your host, Carl, and with me as always is Aton. Hello, Aton. <laughs> why, why do you sound so defeated? Yeah, I'm just trying There's to like, roll it off my tongue. It's like the introduction, it's Tuesday, we're kind of back to a regular schedule. I was actually trying to sound very put together and polished. Okay. okay. So, oh, okay. Sorry. I so I'm glad that uh, it just read as bored and defeated. Great. Cool. <laughs> well, I am, I'm not I'm, bored or I'm, defeated like I was last week. So that's good. That's good. Last week where you explicitly said you didn't feel like talking at all. I think that's verbatim what you said. Ber- verbatim, verbatim. Nothing uh, audience loves more than hearing that they don't want to be talked at, you know? And uh, yeah. verbatim is correct. Okay, sorry. Yeah, you know that this podcast is half media strategy, half Eitan asking you how to talk in English. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's, we should add and that it's like a healthy dose of us just rambling about whatever we want to talk about. That's why we have <laughs> this. So, hell yeah. Yes. Uh, but to back to our original question, I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm getting moved in. Setting up my TV later. By TV, I mean our old TV, not our larger TV we want to get one day. But turning my Apple TV on for the first time in nine months, or no, 15 months. Nice. Excited for that. So we'll see that. Still turns on? I'm sure it will. Okay. Well, then it's going to connect to the internet. It's going to know there is a new one, and then it's going to stop working. Yeah. Oh, now it doesn't have a battery. That's not going to happen. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah. I I was thinking about that because I've had old Apple devices explode on me in, in storage before, but there's no battery in this that I know of. And I don't think the Siri remote's going to explode, so we'll see. I haven't opened it yet. <laughs> you know, the important <laughs> well, things that everyone exciting. cares about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, my TV is working now. Flawless. Which has been a good development in my life. I really didn't feel like returning it. That is a bear to return. Did you get it shipped to you, or did it get... Did you pick it up somewhere? Not only get it shipped, one of those shipments that they put it in your room. It's not like, I'm not that fancy, I didn't choose it. Best Buy, if you order it in Best Buy, they bring it up no. to your place, which is all That's the difference. Nice. And then those boxes, you know, those modern TV boxes that they don't have a floor. They just put like these bands around it. And then once you cut the bands, you just like pull the box out and the TV stays. No. How the hell do you close that? There is, there is, like, it's physically very difficult to return. Turn it upside down? But then it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> have where to, it doesn't hold itself on anything. Does it? Is there no you top? Have to, you have to, like, but then you have to carry 55 inches and then just let it fall, like, into the box that it's turned upside down. I, I love that you're, you're trying to demonstrate what, what you're thinking about visually. To my my hands hurt for the, for me the audience the that can't even see. It's yeah. perfect. Cool. <laughs> anyway, it's working, which is pretty nice. I'm glad it's working. Um, we are combing through the things in our apartment that needs to be fixed, like our dishwasher. So oh, no. fun stuff. But overall, um, happy to be here. And on the note of TV, so uh, wow, Aton. <laughs> I watched what I think is one of my favorite movies. Okay. Uh, Arrival. Mm. Our boy Dennis in you mm. know Dune is coming, 
But I, I really liked it originally, and I've liked it for a long time. During the road trip, we listened to Stories of Your Life, like the collection of short stories by uh, Dave Chan, yeah. on, on which Story of Your Life is it's one of the stories. And I was coming into the movie kind of remembering parts from the book. Mm-hmm. And I think I like the book better, like the story of the book and the level of details that they get around how the aliens, you know, the geek part, how they think about time and space and how they don't have calculus and they are they come at it from a different perspective. Yeah. And but anyway, I still I still really really enjoy it. There is no better gift to me than okay. As someone who is giving the gift, there is no better gift for me to give than a book of Ted Chiang stories to a technically minded person. Fantastic. They are incredible short stories. And they really just drill, dwell and drill into the hard science of it all, but like find meaning in it. It's, it's fascinating. Oh, yes. Very cold and very warm at the same time. I, I love them. Yeah. And yeah, Arrival's a very special film to me. So yeah, good pick. Then what's, what's your favorite story by Ted Chan? Now that we're on Oof. this. It's a good question. Um, there's a, a novella that he wrote about a person who's raising digital AI animals that they their their product has been canceled. So essentially it's just this person who's a zookeeper for for AI animals that are functionally extinct because the product's not going to support them anymore. Okay. That's a head trip. There's one that I find just beautiful about it's it's a modern retelling of the the Tower of Babel, or like a yes. sideways retelling of it. I really uh, like that one. That one's great. There's some really fabulistic ones as well. There's one about like a, a portal, like a time travel portal that's really good. I can't remember the name of it. But they're, yeah. they're all such strange, beautiful stories. I love them. Yeah. I think I, I like from like from the Story of Your Life book, the first four, and I just, mm-hmm. I just like, I remember them. Now I'm just seeing that they are the first four. So Tower of Babylon, fantastic. I don't want to what happens but the twist like ah, so great um probably my favorite one i think it's understand which is the one where uh this guy gets the experimental drugs and he realizes that he may it makes him like almost like uh what's the movie with bradley cooper limitless yeah yeah kind of like a limitless scenario but he really takes it to your point around meaning like you really understand how this guy becomes so smart that he he sees like three, you know, or ten steps ahead from anything, and then yeah. he encounters a person that also thinks ten ten steps ahead, and then that last chapter, I guess, when they meet and the conversation that they had, because they're both, I don't know, it's incredible the way he can describe these things that are philosophically complicated, and it breaks you, which is great, and then the third one. Is division by zero, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is by yeah, this mathematician that realizes that, uh, you know, what was it? Zero equals one, or zero doesn't equal zero, or whatever. And her for her whole life view falls. Anyway, story of your life in general, fantastic story of your life specifically. That story about that arrival is based on. Great arrival, the movie, fantastic. I had forgotten how great the soundtrack is. Do you have it on your? 
physical vinyl collection. Yeah, fantastic. One so of my good. absolute favorite scores. I was distraught when Johan Johansson died, and the Arrival score score is kind of the beginning and end of why it's it's such a tremendous score. Yes, I have it on vinyl. It's a beautiful Deutsche Grammophon pre- pressing of it. He did a good job releasing it. Um, I whatever I took a VR class in school. Yes, that's business school, friends. I mean, that's not exactly business school, but you can do that. Yes. Yes, at, at business school, I took a VR <laughs> production class just on a whim. It was great. And we had to create kind of a... We had to create just a, a visual narrative out of anything. So I just did a bunch of 360 shots going down the, the Palm Drive on the Stanford campus towards the main part of Stanford. It's a good nice. walk and whatever. And to create a sense of propulsion, I used the track Heptapod B from the, the score, which is... the so good and everyone was like what is this music it's so perfect for like what you're trying to convey i was like yep it's our boy johan yeah fantastic score i yeah i i love that movie it whenever i saw it i saw it at a press at a press screening in dallas and i brought one of my friends who oh kevin uh not yeah Friend of the pod, Kevin. Friend of Carl, who was a a groomsman, Kevin. Yes. Yes. So I brought Kevin with me, and we went to this, and I was like, hey, it's like an alien invasion movie. Amy Adams, Villeneuve did Sicario, which we had seen. So he was like, cool, let's let's watch it. And we went. And normally we would get drinks after and talk about it, but we both walked out of that movie, and we're like, let's let's go home. (laughs) Neither of us had the emotional energy to really tackle that <laughs> yeah it, it's it's so great and i think it was what you said i remember when it came out i had i didn't go the first week i don't remember if it was like at that time that i didn't really look into what i was going to watch and i was like ah, yeah. this is going to be you know sicario dennis uh, aliens attacking like is this i don't want to watch you know war of the worlds i don't feel like doing that but it's such a sober take on what would happen and yes. it's it's honestly so enhanced by the book like highly recommend pairing them together. Um, that was me. That was me. And the other thing that I'm watching that I'm almost done is the rewatch of Succession. Nice. Uh, because the the new season is coming out in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to Mexico for two weeks, and the HBO Max doesn't work there, so I need to be done by Sunday, which I'm gonna be good. What have you gotten any time to watch anything? No TV. Alex and I are trying to find time to catch up on the other two and Nine Perfect Strangers, which we've both been enjoying and watching. Uh, I I love the other two. It's to me the first season is one of the best seasons of TV I've seen in a long time, and just continuing off of that, the second season has been great. Have you Have you seen it? I haven't. Do you know the premise? I don't think so. Okay, so it's the uh, nine. The nine other men. So there's the other two and nine perfect strangers. Okay. That's it. Sounds like there's two names in there that sound like one. Thing. The other two and nine perfect strangers sounds like a the other show the other twenty nine perfect strangers. Yes. Okay. okay. So I'll, I'll give you a description of both. So the other two is there's kind of two schools of Lorne Michaels or originated comedy. The SNL guy. Yeah. There's the... Ligadun. 
Right. Schmickety is kind of halfway between them where, like, there's the very kind of schmaltzy, overly emotional, sappy, kind of Parks and Rec adjacent Michael, or not Michael Schur, uh, Lauren Michaels Michael. comedy. Yeah. And then there's the... But Lauren Michaels the, uh, is the guy from from Schmickety, right? Also. Yes, he is. He's in yes. oh, okay, perfect. He's okay. the, like, most important person yeah. in improv Saturday comedy through the SNL channel. He runs right. SNL yes. and has... Then there's the more like acerbic, like 30 rock lineage of them. So th this one's kind of more on that side where it's a little, little more, you know, real, funny, biting as opposed to the other. Uh, it's it's kind of aping the Justin Bieber-esque origin story of kid goes viral on YouTube and becomes a massive pop star overnight. Okay. And so it's about this teenager from the Midwest who becomes a pop star overnight but the show focuses on the other two siblings, which are two siblings who both work vaguely in media acting in New York and have never hit it big. And then their brother just accidentally becomes a media celebrity overnight. Which is great. I feel like that's based on the conversation that we had like two months ago around like TikTok and Olivia Rodrigo and them hitting it. Yeah, for sure. When, when like, uh, Ben Affleck or the Matt Damon would talk about how they were trying forever and that was the only way to do it. And I was suddenly, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. It is. It's really great. It's very specific and it's really funny. Like M Molly Shannon's in it in a, a mm. pretty sizable role. She's amazing. Drew Tarver is just phenomenal. He's the one of the two other two. He's an actor that I saw for the first time at UCB at a random like 10 o'clock show one weekend. This was before I even like lived in LA for a summer. And just one of those people that I saw live, I was like, who the hell are you? It was him and Nicole Byers are the two people that I saw before they like hit it. Where I was like, you are so funny. Who are you? And then like, they're every, starting to be everywhere now. So it's great. Yeah. So th that's the other two. Nine Perfect Strangers is... Nicole Kidman runs a weird wellness retreat and a bunch of celebrities are there. It's very, it's like the that all I've seen White the Lotus. Yeah. I, w I saw the trailer that so for that the other day and I told Ariella, and I, you might hit me. People might hit me. Is Nicole Kidman a good actress? Okay. So. <laughs> because I, she seems super bland in the last 10 things that I've seen from her. She's exactly the same. Zero range, zero emotion, point blank. I kind of was doubting it already in like uh, Big Little Lies and so many of these things. No. And now I saw the trailer, I'm like, this is the same thing. What am I missing? Do you share this perspective or are you going to kill me? Alex and I quite literally had this conversation the other night. Okay, what did you want to So and so, we've been having an ongoing conversation. So, for example, we both think Keanu Reeves is formally a bad actor. He is a fantastic movie star, but com compared to a Nicolas Cage, like you have him and Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage, I believe, is a good actor who swings for the fences a lot and misses a lot, but has a lot of charisma and plays roles very similar to Keanu's at times, but he's always seems to be trying to do something specific, even if it's awful. Whereas... I, I should... Yeah. Whereas Keanu is so charismatic and so beautiful that he can do whatever the hell he wants and it's watchable. And that's fine. 
Like movies don't need right. someone who's a good yeah. actor for a movie to be great. Like, yeah, that's fine. And he does his one thing well, but I don't think he's a good actor. I so, completely share that. Cool. And I still think Keanu is better than Nicole. <laughs> so we have this ongoing conversation like about is so-and-so actually good or is so-and-so actually bad or, or whatever. And when we started Nine Perfect Strangers, I leaned over to Alex and I was like, okay, is this going to be normal Nicole Kidman? Is this going to be Ice Queen Nicole Kidman? Or is this going to be really weird and ticky Nicole Kidman? Like where she's just doing a lot to do a lot and it doesn't quite gel. And I leaned over to her and we both bet on the Ice Queen Nicole Kidman, which has been kind of her lane for the last decade right. more or less. Yeah. And it's actually like bizarrely ticky and compelling. It's we we both are split on her in this role. Melissa McCarthy, on the other hand, is phenomenal. Maybe the best she's ever been and the best part of the show. I, I love her. She's a great actress. actress. She's a great yeah. actress. Yeah. Yeah. Nicole Kidman, I, I don't know if she's a good actress. I haven't figured it out. I love a lot of movies she's in. I dislike some movies she's in. But I think it's another thing where it doesn't matter because she's a movie star and she's hot and she's charismatic. So there we go. But I think it does start to, you do start to wonder more when it's like, oh, is she that charismatic? Like, Alex loves her in Big Little Lies. I don't quite like her performance in Big Little Lies. I think there's not much there. I think it's right on the edge because her character and everything she's going through in her, in right, her house with her husband sure. is like, okay, I get that. She's you get why she's repressed and traumatized. But exactly. also... She has to be very calm. She's not going to show emotion. I kind of get it, but it's also on the line that he's like, but she's giving me nothing. I still don't know. Right. Which is the same... <laughs> I saw her... And I remember thinking this for the first time, the first time that I saw, like, Aquaman on a plane, like, two years ago. And he being like, judge her off Aquaman, but okay. I know, I know, I know. Okay. But I was just like, I'm going to keep an eye out. You know, like, this is weird. And then, uh, probably, what was, I mean, it wasn't right after, but, like, Bombshell? Yeah. Big okay. Little Lies around <laughs> the time, The Undoing. Uh -huh. uh, you probably in the Goldfinch. I still haven't watched Goldfinch, but... I the golf is like her big little lies performance, but light. Oh, we're good. Right. Okay, so the last ten days, the last ten years. Oh wow, that's very funny. I'm so glad I wasn't like kicked out of the Zoom and you, you know, like you stopped the podcast. Yeah. Never heard of Carl again because it was truly like just for the trailer. I was like, uh, I don't know, I don't know. Okay, so Eyes Wide Shut is one of my absolute top three favorite movies, if not top. Ask me on a good day and it's my favorite movie. And she's great which in one? Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut. The, no, like, Stanley the Kubrick movie? That one. Like, that's one of like three. <laughs> oh, I thought you said this one was my, this one is my favorite and Eyes Wide Shut is one of the top three. But got it. No, sorry. Continue. No, no, no. On any given day, Eyes Wide Shut is my favorite movie. Got it. It rotates in and out. And she's quite good, in, especially in a monologue that she des des delivers while stoned. Slash, she's doing this in the uh, the twilight of her marriage to Tom Cruise and the movies about that. So I will stick up for that performance and I will stick up for that movie because I love that movie. So therefore, she okay. is a, a good actress. But I'm not going to kick you out of this chat. Okay. <laughs> she's also the, she's the bad guy in Paddington. 
right? She's great in Paddington. Okay, there we exactly. go. Exactly. She's not Hugh Grant in Paddington too, but she's great. Yeah, stuff you bear. Great line reading. Great, no, yeah, and she was like very (laughs) pink. But anyway, that's pretty funny. That was our Nicole Kidman corner. And to actually answer your question here, the thing I have been watching this week is I went and saw the card counter, and I wanted to use this to talk about. I signed up for AMC subscription service, not AMC to rewatch AMC theaters. Sorry. Oh, I, I was going to ask if I realized that was confusing. Mad Men. No, well, whenever you watch Mad Men, I'm just going to buy it all on Blu-ray. So we're good. Exactly. So yeah. what level of AMC stops are you? The highest. Do you have an AMC? Maybe. Yeah, by virtue of being in one of the most expensive zip codes in the world, it is the highest tier. It's Which priced is- on zip code more than anything. No, no, but you know how there are three tiers? One is, like, you can watch all the movies. Another one is, like, you get 20% of tickets. And another one is, like, you get free popcorn, maybe. So there's the free AMC Stubbs tier. And then there's the AMC Stubbs A-list. I, this was very confusing. And then there's also an A-list entourage where you can join it with other people. But the, the, there is one free product, which is a reward system, where you sometimes get free popcorn and stuff. And then there are three tiers... That depending on your location, you can get upgrades based on the tier. But if okay. you live in an expensive zip code and are going to a th- and or going to a theater in an expensive zip code, you have to have the highest tier. So that's how they break it out. Got it. It's zip okay code. because I have one, or I used to have one that was like twenty dollars a year yeah. or thirty dollars a year, yeah. but it gave you a discount. It didn't give you anything for free. Right. Yeah. But okay, so you have one. How much do you pay? So it's $24 a piece for Alex and I per month. But we were trying to go to the... So there's three major... Wait. They Don't don't they have one that is like all you can eat? Or like once a week? That is like 50? Yeah. No, it's it's 24 bucks a month. And you can go three times a week. That's the highest cap. $24 a month and you can go three times a week? That's like yeah. almost movie pass. Yeah, isn't it great? Yeah. So we, we were looking at it, and, and this we was like fifty like something. What happened? I mean, so that. To, sorry, COVID happened, and they want to court their stockholders. Okay, that's another point I need to talk about. But before that, a ticket Man, in San Francisco up. for a a movie theater in San Francisco is eighteen dollars a person after tax and fees. So it's I can pay twenty four dollars flat and just go twice and more than break even okay that's a non-issue i will go to an amc twice a month at least so that's where we're at but in the sign up flow one of the questions was are you an amc stockholder because you can get special discounts promotions so you bought one no i haven't bought one but i might i might do that and change it and see what that is just for the can i can i expense uh capital like gains from a stock acquisition on my taxes for business purposes for the podcast <laughs> I, i'm sure we set up an llc yes maybe that could be an episode we uh register uh, s corp in delaware live on air but yes right now we're <laughs> to the hotel in orlando but how did i how did i miss this did you know about this because the first the first yeah. movie that i went after the pandemic it was to in the heights in an amc in north carolina and I remember checking, and I signed up for Premiere because I was like, the other one is like 50-something. 
This is close. Carl, I don't know. this is very close to Movie Pass. Three, it is very close to Movie for Pass. $24 a month? Yeah. Can you? Did you sign up for like a year so that they don't move it up in three months when they realize no, there wasn't how much money they're going to lose? And did yeah, you but... choose? Okay, I'm checking with me. <laughs> if I choose here and I say no other states, it's 23. Yes. And if I am using it in other states, it's... Wait, what? Oh. Hmm. Yes, the cheapest is $20 for most states, except California, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and New York. And then I think the top one's California and New York, right? $23.95? Oh, that is ours. Okay. That's... Oh, yeah. California, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and New York. Yeah. It's still so cheap. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's oh, the thing, man. is even if... Like, we're going to go to a lot of rep screenings here that are AMCs, but... Ultimately, there are more yeah, AMCs here than in the city than anything else. There's a one single Cinemark, the Century something, which I love. We've talked about how much we love the Cinemark in Mountain View, but we're not going to make it down to Mountain View that much. No. So my, my plan here is I'm going to ride out the $9 a month Cinemark subscription until I use all the credits that I've paid for because they evaporated. You, you didn't cancel. cancel it? Well, I didn't cancel it because they didn't start making you pay until two months ago. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll use it. So but they still gave you new ones every month? No. No. Okay, got it. Got it. But I still got, got discounts yeah. when I went to the theater. Anyway, I have two credits I need to use before October 11th, and then I'll cancel that and stick with AMZ. And I don't know. I would consider getting an Alamo one, but I think it's expensive, and I'd rather just go to a bunch of rep screenings everywhere. So here we are. So that has been the uh, modern movie pass update, I guess. I can't. I'm mind blown. I'm almost as mind blown as last week when I completely caught you by surprise with the Rise of the Resistance. Like, this is big. Yeah. Oh, I wish I was going. I'm not really comfortable with the others yet, but. Anyway, thanks for making me happy and sad at the same time. You're welcome. Yeah, and I thought thought you were going to say AMC because of Mad Men, but that counts as well. Right. I realized it was confusing as soon as it came out of my mouth because there are, you know, multiple AMCs with streaming services at this point. But I mean, the theater run by our favorite Silverback Gorilla, Adam Aaron. Oh, yes. That's what they call what them, right? Story. Yeah, I think so. The apes. So you wanted to talk about something else on that or is it was the, the fact uh, that they that, asked if you were a stakeholder? That was it was the stakeholder question. Okay. All right. Should we transition to our one new news item and one topic this week? Yeah, let's do, let's do the one news item very quickly. But okay, something that happened, I guess, something that happened before the time of stock in development. Uh, even though we've been, you know, the drivers of, uh, you know, Netflix originals, you are not getting the fact that you want. You can say that IP is not important, but it is. They signed a deal to license uh, 16 titles of Roald Dahl, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, BFG, Matilda, a couple of other stuff. And it was, it was reported at a time that it was for around 16, so 16 titles for around $100 million, just for the license. And it came out today that there are reports that they're actually going to just buy them outright. Uh, which is a bit confusing, like most of these news around acquisitions, because it's unclear if they're buying the rights to the 16 things or buying the rights for the catalog and all the IP forever and ever, or what exactly it means. But it's kind of the first, 
I guess, full-fledged Netflix investment into something like this, mm-hmm. would you say? Like, they, they, we've talked about, like, the three-body problem, and they're trying to get into, you know, buying things that people know, knives out, um, a couple of other things like that. But this, this feels like the first major one, even if it's not, you know, that big. Yeah, I... I guess, did they own the rights to the three-body problem, or was that a just production acquisition? Do we know? I don't know. But I meant in, I meant in the kind of to our point of... Okay, yeah. They, they need to get this type of... They need to get this type of content in there. I think it's a good strategy. They're clearly focusing on animation and children's content with their general investment strategy and this it makes perfect sense this is beloved content and i think it's good crossover content because it's content that plays well for adults because it's kind of messed up like real doll stuff is pretty weird (laughs) so yeah like i think that that's good uh beloved adaptations across the board with a lot of these properties good name recognition the books are going to be probably good for the next 20, 30 years before they hit the public domain. I don't remember exactly when these books were written. I think they were the 50s and 60s. Yes, I was correct. They were the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So it's a good investment, I'm saying. And I think they're going to get in on the last cycle of these being private domain versus public domain works. So good yeah. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing just a little more detail. You know, the 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 drum that I'm going to continue to beat is why acquire if you can license? You need to assume there's some savings or some upside to you owning yeah. versus licensing. And if they already have the rights and they're just acquiring those 16 things, yeah, again, I'm sure there are some rights to things they can do after or to merchandising that they'll get everything even though they don't do anything yeah. with merchandising, even though they have like a chief merchandising officer. Anyway. Um, the, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Seems seems strange, I guess. It seems strange. I will play devil's advocate with myself just now with the fact that as Evergreen as, it, as this IP is, which that is a disgusting phrase, but as evergreen as the IP is, I can't think of much other IP that's not like already in-housed at one studio where there's not canonical versions of everything already. Like, there's a canonical Matilda film. There's a canonical Willy Wonka film. The Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and- film is quite good. Yeah, and a remake, right? There is a canonical right, exactly. and a new one. They're they're both good. Um I'm sure I'm sure they could redo the BFG that's not Spielberg's finest. But like um but BFG's... Mr. Fox, Wes Anderson made a roll doll adaptation, so that's pretty canonical. Like yeah. I I think it's difficult to top these. I mean Zemeckis's witches didn't top Nicholas Regg's witches. <laughs> <laughs> The, B- the last BFG Rogue, was not Rig. Disney's? No. Am I getting confused? Was the last BFG Disney? It was. It was part of that... It, it was part of that, like, Twilight of DreamWorks Studio Disney Amblin distribution deal. So it's a Amblin Spielberg uh, film that was distributed and partially produced by Disney. Got it. 
Yeah, not confusing at all. Not at all. Um, yeah, I think I think that's the biggest thing. Is like, I get the point of there isn't that much self uh, standing, and everyone is trying to grab whatever they can. At the same time, I don't know. I think I can I can I can see both arguments around. Yeah, this is them being very careful. They're paying probably you know a couple of hundred million dollars. They're not paying billions for anything. This is something that they've seen up close and they know what they're gonna do. At the same time, it's like, is this desperate? They've said all along they don't care about this. Um. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Random Tuesday Netflix. <laughs> IP random. Drink, I guess it doesn't yes. really move the. Yeah. I I'd like to see the price on this. This seems like something that Amazon wouldn't set their sights on because it's too small, but Amazon would also pay four times as much as Netflix would for. Yeah. And then and then lose it in its their terrible UI. Uh-huh. The other yeah. day I tried to go see like to find the Underground Railroad. Good luck. It's like a treasure hunt. It's crazy. It's not like it was the biggest thing they've done in years and with Barry Jenkins and it's truly bizarre. Well, do they already have... I was thinking, do they already have the James Bonds there? I'm sure they're going to get an uptick before No Time to Die. Probably not. No idea. And <laughs> if they are, nobody knows. <laughs> and quite honestly, because their UI is so bad and because they have such specific weird groups of content, I only end up on Amazon Prime when another like super search pushes me there. I never go to Amazon first first. Exactly. First. If it's something that is like, I don't know where this is, and then you Google it, and you see that it's Amazon Prime. Yeah. I want to yeah, p- put a pin in the Underground Railroad discussion so we can use it as a segue in a minute. But first, I want to quiz you. Ooh. There's a there's a book that is a movie that feels very real doll called Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Are you aware of it? I've heard about it. It's got Dick Van Dyke in the movie. It's very weird, magical British stuff. I ha- I have a I have an image in my head. Okay, yeah. I want to see where this is going. So, do you know who wrote that book? Weird British children's book. It feels like Roald Dahl, but it isn't. Is it somebody British? It's somebody British. It's somebody who wrote another franchise you just brought up. Okay, so it wasn't Tolkien. It wasn't C.S. Lewis. They were... This person and Roald Dahl had a friendship that's very close to Tolkien and Lewis. But it's not Tolkien and Lewis. (laughs) But it's not in Oxford. It's somewhere else. It's not in Oxford. It is in uh... British military intelligence, actually, during World War II. Instead of of the, the infantry. Uh, that's funny. Is it the Paddington person? No. Okay. All right, well, that's a good guess. It's a British yes. book of something that British I brought book. up. What franchise did I bring up? <laughs> In context oh of God. Amazon. <laughs> it wasn't the Underground Railroad. It wasn't something about MGM. I don't know. Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming from James Bond. The guy who wrote Bond. Wrote Chitty oh, Chitty Bang uh, yeah. Bang on a bet with Roald Dahl because Roald Dahl bet him that he couldn't write a children's book and Ian Fleming said, watch me. So he basically just wrote another Roald Dahl book 
that Roald Dahl later helped adapt into a film. Wow, that's a great piece of trivia. Yeah. He's like the... He's like, I just learned about that for Dr. Seuss and Green Eggs and Ham. I don't know Have this. you... So it was a bit by... I'm going to forget exactly the details, and I, I can look them up here in a minute, but it was a bet to see if he could write a book that used less than X amount of words. <laughs> so, yeah, let me, let me, let me, let me just search. Yeah, and while I, while I look this up, uh, speaking of Netflix, Dr. Seuss, I think, don't they have a Green Exaham series in Netflix? But anyway, um... Dr. Seuss wrote Green Eggs and Ham on a bet that he couldn't write a book with 50 or fewer words. The bet was made in 1960 with Bennett Cerf, the co-founder of Random House, and it was done for $50 of the time, around $380 today. And I think it was also something that it started like at $200, and then he would keep bringing it up, keep bringing it down, keep bringing it down. And it's a, it's a book that only, only has 50 words, or less That's than 50 incredible. words. Yeah. I like bets. That's funny. Well, I'm going to go back to the Underground Railroad here as a pivot point for let's talk about... Oh, before you pivot, speaking about yes. the Underground Railroad, I just got my license plate from Massachusetts. And the license plate is WMP. Womp. Every time I see my car, I think of Barry Jenkins. <laughs> Every single time now I see my car, I think of Barry Jenkins. Anyway, sorry, that's how it was connected to the Segway with Underground Railroad. I think you've uh, just come up with our episode title, which is, I'm going to write this down. <laughs> Every time I see my car, I think of Barry Jenkins. <laughs> Literally. It's a, it's an orange Subaru Crosstrek. So, yes. It sounds now like a car fit for Barry Jenkins. <laughs> I don't even know how I was, I was going to try and do this segue. It was something about, like, the Emmys and how they didn't recognize certain things, including the Underground Railroad, but, but here we are. So we're going to talk about the Emmys. Do it. Let's do it. Do it. First thing first. Okay. When we were talking about this before the episode, can you believe the last, episode, the last Emmys were a year ago? I think we talked about Schitt's Creek on this show. It feels like we talked about it, like, a month ago, and it was for the Emmys, and... No, it must have been one of our earliest episodes. Wow. But, but yeah, I also thought, like, no, it couldn't have been a year ago. I'm sure it was delayed because of COVID, and She's Creek did this thing with the bubble, and they had the joke of the bubble people giving the Emmy, so it was, must have been in, like, January. But no, it was September 20th, 2020. Yeesh. Well, okay. It's well, been a year. We're, we're back here to uh, celebrate another fantastic year in television that I didn't watch, so let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I I want to start first. So cool. for anyone that didn't see, it was relatively... It sounds like every other Emmy. Ted Lasso won most of comedy. The Crown won most of drama. Netflix, uh -huh. for the first time, wins uh, best drama or best movie with The Crown. Apple TV Plus, in like three years, already has a best comedy. Um, best limited... Series, most of it goes to the mayor of Easttown. Hamilton completely robs Bo Burnham. But The Crown and Ted Lasso and mayor of Easttown. I have a philosophical question for you. Okay. At first, I was like, what is happening? Why is everyone, like, why is every single thing 
like winning at least, you know, five out of six, right? Of each yeah. category. And then I was like, well, this is not new. That happened last year with Succession and with Shit's Creek and probably three years ago with Game of Thrones and Mad Men and Breaking Bad and whatever. And at first I was annoyed. And, and I'm, I just started thinking, like, is this something that, you know, we're getting driven to a point where because everyone has access to everything, mm-hmm. the things that are good bubble up very quickly and kind of everyone has access to them. And then the critics that vote only pay attention to those things. Is it that... And then trying to think more, I think where I'm landed, and this is where I would love your thoughts on, is to do a TV show that is great, that is able to contain a story over multiple episodes or even Mm -hmm. seasons, it feels like everything needs to click. You need acting, you need directing, you need writing, you need, you know, everything needs to click. You need a good ensemble, and part of me says, like, okay, I kind of get it, right? Because these great TV shows separate themselves because everything clicks. They're not just great writing but they have great directing, great acting, blah, blah, blah. Isn't that also what happened with movies and how it should be with movies? Is there something inherent, inherent about the format and how long they are that drives it to even be more? It, it, you know, We have Titanic, we have Lord of the Rings, we have mm-hmm. whatever that end up winning a lot, but it doesn't seem to happen that much. So would love just to start there, get your thoughts. I was thinking about this between yesterday and today. So there's a lot to touch on there. Let me see if I can parrot it back to you and (laughs) understand your question. I learned rambling. Yes. So your question is, why are there more sweeps of awards in TV than film? That's, I think that's the second question. I think the first one is, is there a good reason why there are sweeps in TV shows that are so consistent? Yeah. If yes, why doesn't that happen more with movies? So yeah, kind of two, yeah. two questions. I think you've you've most based on your your rambling ask of the question. <laughs> I think you've mostly reasoned out what my point of view here is, which is absolutely. I think there's just a sourcing cost to actually being able to watch all of these things and to track all of these things, and there are probably as many seriously eligible TV shows a year as there are seriously eligible films, except a film takes two hours, three hours max to watch. Mm-hmm. Whereas a TV series like to watch all of it takes upwards of eight hours. So I, I think ultimately, yeah, you, you kind of go with the heuristic of, Oh, everyone likes this. Let me watch this. Sure. I'll, I'll give it to this. This seems mm-hmm. like their time. I think that explains why every year there's certain things that bubble up, especially in like your years where it's like Watchmen or Succession, right? Where it's something that's been around for a little bit, maybe it's, it's sophomore season or it's a limited release show. There we go. Mm-hmm. But I truly cannot explain like how the hell Modern Family won what like six best comedy out of the Emmys in a row, like something like that. Yeah. Was that just all anybody watched? I I quite like Modern Family, but I truly do not understand that. And you have that, whereas stuff like Jim Parsons winning like seven Emmys for Big Bang Theory, which I think he admittedly deserves because he makes that like thing a character, you know? Yeah. Right? Like he's a great performance in a show where you need some compelling performances to make it work. So to make it the most watched show in television for like 
right, eight yeah. years in a like, row. Yeah. So I, I'm all for people winning multiple Emmys, but it's just strange when it's something like Modern Family where it's like, does anybody think Modern Family's pushing the needle in any way? Is this anybody's favorite show? Why the hell is it this way? So I, I can't explain the multiple sweep thing, but I definitely think you're onto something with the like one year sweep. This is the year for it thing. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, like, I did end up rationalizing it from the perspective of when you find, and it's happening because I'm rewatching Succession, when you yeah. find a show that everything clicks, it's kind of a shot of, like, adrenaline and I don't even know what the right bodily secretion is, but, like, <laughs> not secretion, whatever. Anyway, yeah, I, I can see that happening, but I, I think I really like what you said around pushing the needle, which is... What is the point of the words? <laughs> right? And we, we've talked about this, but it's like, let's say, let's say it's to celebrate the best of the industry. You know, we've talked about how self-aggrandizing it is and how, you know, let's pat ourselves in the back and make a party out of this so that other people can watch. Uh-huh. But it, it does sound like the point is, the point is to, to, you know, to celebrate what we can do and where this is going. If you're Netflix... Let's, I mean, I know this is, it's not black and white, but if you're on Netflix and you know objectively you have the shows that are the most watched by anyone. Yeah. Do you care if you win an Emmy? If you're already, yeah. If you're already, if the crown is already the most watched by whatever percentage, is it nice? Sure. Is it going to look cool in some CVs? Yeah. I I get it. But does, does it objectively change anything for them? Does it move the needle at all? And if it's not, why? And, and this is impossible because in the voting there is no, there is no breakdown of this. But I think what you said is what I would love to see, like the moving the needle. Let's yeah. do something a little bit different. Let's. And listen, I I really like the lasso. I think it's great. Is hacks better? Yeah, probably. Is it completely different? I don't know. Hamilton beating Bob Burnham is bananas. It's like just ridiculous. And I don't know. I don't know if there is that dimension that we need to just consider beyond, oh, yeah, I turn off the TV and I have fun for the last hour. Yeah. I, I think More rambling. I think you're onto something here where with so much to celebrate, if you're truly trying to compartmentalize the performances and the talent and the creative behind all this stuff, then... It's probably very rare that one show has the best of everything every year. I've, right. I always and, find and, it kind of... And also, to your point, what is creativity if right. not doing something different? Yeah. Do something new? Right. Like, and, and I think I'm always intrigued by the directing Emmys because mm-hmm. they, they've become just kind of like... It, it's strange because it seems like, okay, we want to give Jason Bateman an Emmy, so we're going to give him an Emmy for directing. But was that the best directed episode of a year? Probably not. No. Barry Jenkins is here, so I guess Barry Jenkins needs an Emmy. Like, <laughs> Underground Railroad was probably the best directed thing. I'm not disputing that. But it, it's just such a strange category. But I like that it's divorced much more from the top prize just because directing in TV is a four higher job, nine times out of 10. Like 
in the case of Underground Railroad, Barry Jenkins is the showrunner. He's directing it. He has full creative control. Usually, right. it's somebody who comes in, is a gun for hire, maybe he's an actor who wants to do some directing, and shoots an episode, and then you can actually tr- try to like objectively be like, is this well-directed? Whereas for the Oscars, film and production and everything are usually so tied the, to the directing talent, and there's so many below-the-line items that go to a, to a director. I always struggle with, shouldn't the best film of the year also be the best directed? Maybe that's just a like, bullshit altruistic nope, stance I, I on it, it, but it's kind of hard. Like, I can understand how the best directed TV show of the year might not be the best TV show of the year, but I feel like the best directed film of the year should be the best film of the year. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I feel similar to, like, and I, I know the sense of going back to what are, what are awards, and then people want to decide how many awards to give based on how much time the broadcast should last, which seems backwards, but, like, Watchmen, a couple of years ago, right? Creative, doing something different in storytelling, in whatever you want. Yeah. Damon Lindelof probably should have won an award that doesn't exist. Right. Because I I get that it's writing, and I get that it it, it might win Best Series, but there is something there about weaving a concept and creating a, a way of storytelling, or, you know? I don't know what that is. And I don't yeah. know if that's something that I want. That I'm like, yeah, give me, give me something that takes into account this new way of. I don't know if there is a worth around being able to create an awesome story that is told over multiple pieces, where each one lives on its own, where it connects, where. Yeah. I don't know what, and I don't know what. That is. It's almost like the Tonys that is the best book, and I don't know what the best book means. Because it's not best lyrics, it's not best music, it's not right. best story. And I feel like there is something like that. We should create a best book for the Emmys that nobody really <laughs> understands, but that focuses on that. And I'm sure people understand what the best book award is for. Apologies, don't shout at me. But uh, I want that. I want that Damon Lindelof, you did something very cool, thank you, award. Right, yeah. And once in a while, you get that over in the, like, the Creative Art, Arts Emmys or the Oscars with the honorary awards and whatnot. Like... You have that wild Walt Disney Oscar where it's a an Oscar statuette with ti- seven tiny Oscar statuettes attached oh, to it. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. that's the sort of thing you should give an award to. It's like, oh, we don't have a best animated film, feature film category because one has never existed. Like, like how do you define that stuff? And then, I yeah, it, it's very strange. And, yeah, awards are all ridiculous. And they're just part of, like, the, the bigger media add circle jerk i don't know it's yeah no and before moving on i don't want this to be an honorary (laughs) thing because i want it to be i want to have nominees i want there to be voting around it i want this to be a thing where there is a conversation and we compare and we talk about how people do different things and they can all be celebrated even if their take on creativity or innovation is different i think you just for example critics awards Aton. but I don't know. Like, I keep thinking of, and this is, of course, biased based on what I like, but what was the show um, last year? Devs. Yeah. I remember watching Devs and being like, 
oh my god, like this is messing with my mind. I need to make a yeah. thing out of this. I need to watch it at night. I want to turn on the light. I want to turn off the lights. Yes. I want to increase the sound. This is awesome. And you know, it's like, do they win big directing? Fine. No. Do they win big series? Fine. No. Do they win any acting? I still, I think they should have maybe, but no. no. But there is still something very amazing that nobody talks about because there is no no very specific box where you can put it as the best blah. So let's just do the, the blah worth. I don't know. I think what you're getting at here is that it's frustrating that kind of the most important thing about these awards, which happens quite a bit, less so, but quite a bit still today, in the Oscars, where it's a film nobody's seen. Mm-hmm. Like, I might have seen it, you might have seen it, but <laughs> people that aren't listening to this podcast probably haven't like paid attention to it. And then Parasite wins Beck's picture, and it's like, oh, I guess I have to go watch a Korean film tonight, you know? Yeah. That's cool. That's very cool. You rarely see that with the Emmys. And when you, even when you do see it with the Emmys, it's something like the Kaminsky method where you're, you're like, what the hell is this? I'm not going to watch the Kaminsky method. This just seems like a tax write-off for Michael Douglas. I, why do I need to watch this? <laughs> <laughs> the, one thing, the one thing that came out of these Oscars that I was like, good for them, I may destroy you. Based writing, I think, for limited series, Michaela Cohen won. Yeah. I, Great. Awesome. Thank haven't you. seen it one yet, thing. but I have heard that. Yes. Okay, but again, it's best writing for limited series, and it doesn't compete on this drama and comedy, right. you know, prestige uh, sections. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, time out real quick. I don't know. I kind of think this is a good place to add where we just talked about the Emmys rather than talking about the Emmys. Oh, yes, sorry. I got very worked up over <laughs> awards and whatnot. Hey, quite honestly, I didn't know what we were going to talk about with the Emmys. And I think just having an existential conversation about why do the Emmys exist? What do they mean? Rather than trying to dig through like dozens of shows I have heard of and like four I've actually sat down and watched this year, despite having more time than ever to watch TV shows. So I don't know. I, I think we've covered what we can uniquely cover about the Emmys right now. You want to transition yeah. to AUAs? Yeah. I feel fine not talking about comparing cool. performances that I haven't watched, even though we sometimes do that. But we only do that for like box office. We don't, we don't talk about if a movie is good, if you haven't watched it. <laughs> but we did the same thing here. You know, we, we talked about yeah. kind of the cultural import of Netflix having a big show. Versus, you know, talking about The Crown, which I didn't, I'm seeing a season of because it's dreadfully boring, but well acted, so. And now it's the best movie and it's the best directing, sorry, the best drama, the best directed, the best written, the best actors, the best. Sure. And, and I'm sure that if they could get, if Netflix would release box office statistics, it would show that it made 20 avatars worth of money in the box office. So here we are. <laughs> of course. 20 avatars. On that, on that note, when is Avatar 2 coming out now? Supposedly? Pretty sure it's December 2022 now. Next year? Ooh, yeah. that's way so too close. Two and three are shot. They're in the can. They're in post-production. Yes, Avatar 2 is December 16, 2022. So those, in some way, will exist. Even if it's just a bunch of weird footage that gets released because he didn't put it together. There is at least green screen footage of Kate Winslet holding her breath 
while Nick Sigourney Weaver plays a tree or whatever. So okay. those exist. Four and five that's are actually, the much true. That's actually a great AUA, a great transition to my AUA. Cool. <laughs> Is Avatar 2 the most like the movie that is arriving with the highest expectations ever. I have another one that comes to mind. That is probably the same one you're thinking about. But like is okay. next year is this gonna be ridiculous the, the six months leading up to that? Because it's kind of yeah it's gonna be the biggest expectation and the biggest variance of how well things can go or how like there isn't really upside on how good no. it can go, but there is incredible downside of how bad things can go. Yeah. Okay, first of all, is your anticip most anticipated question, is the other film you're thinking about, The Matrix Resurrections? No, it's, it's a movie that already came out. Wh what one? The Force Awakens. Okay, cool. That That's a good comparison. I was going to say, Resurrections, I'm psyched for it. I have a lot riding oh, on I'm Matrix Resurrections. Yeah. But I think most people tapped out with the the matrix sequels whereas you and i were like oh these are great <laughs> so yeah no 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 here yeah. we are okay. no and i mean expectations like in every sense of the world like people being like this is gonna be awesome Fair. studios expecting two billion dollars oh my god it's been done it's been produced for like the past 10 years i feel like the force awakens and avatar 2 are inverse of each other I feel like Avengers Endgame is perfectly in the middle. So let me let me tell you what I'm saying here. Perfect. Force Awakens is a juggernaut, important film based on the most important franchise in filmmaking history, as far as like blockbuster franchises. Yep. Is it coming off of four films, a bunch of TV projects, and a bunch of random shit that like is bad? Yes. <laughs> So, like, the brand's a little tarnished. It's, like, but all in all, people are like, J.J. Abrams can do it. This looks good. We want to return to form. And it's a smash hit. It breaks a bunch of records, and it's good. I think that that is, there's a lot writing on that one. And it was sort of Disney spent all this money for it. Is it going to survive, or is it going to just become bad, weird Star Wars again? So there's a lot writing on this. Whereas, I feel like people don't know what this is. The, I'm, no, not at all. With James Cameron, it's sort of every time it's like, oh, he just accidentally made the highest grossing film again. Like you have that with Terminator Two, which Terminator One did well, but it's like this R-rated sci-fi sci thing. And then Terminator Two is like this defining blockbuster '90s action flick out of yeah. nowhere. I mean, not out of nowhere. He's made good films before that, but just shockingly made so much money despite people not even knowing the, the first one. And it's like more of a film for teens in the first one. Weird. Then he has to convince a studio to let him sink a full-scale half model of the, the Titanic in the, in the Yucatan Peninsula. Mm -hmm. And then that makes more money than anybody's ever made. And then he does that again with his weird, I want to shoot 3D and render it all in real time project. He does that again. But... There's no uniting thread between these films. They're not related thematically. They're all strange movies. They're all way too technically complex for what they are. They cost way too much money. But people are just compelled by what he puts out. So at this point, 
if you had bet against any one of those other projects, I would like not begrudge you because all of those those three projects on paper all sound like they're not going to make much money. <laughs> but at this point, I don't know. Would you bet against James Cameron? I sure as hell wouldn't. No, not at all. But and I think <laughs> Avatar is also one of those movies where it made a ton of money, and to this day, I watch it in a four K good TV, and I'm I'm like, holy shit, this looks awesome. It and is. There aren't that many things that yeah. made ten even ten years ago. It is a film that's aged spectacularly well, not just the visuals, which still hold up, still look good, look better than most things produced today. Yeah. But on top of that, everyone made fun of it for just being like Pocahontas in space or whatever. But now you watch it and you're like, oh, it's a simple, primal, hero's journey narrative. It works. It it holds together then better than most things I'm watching right now. Cool. This is good. This is timeless. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And that's what I mean. But it's also one of those things where I feel like if, if you ask the average person on the street right. if they know there are three more coming, they're going to be like, no. I don't I think, think it's kind the of average film Twitter only. No, more people know about this is because it's ridiculous how much they've been delayed, etc. But I don't think right now they're as expected as like last year when it comes out and the trailer comes out. I feel like it might be crazy. Okay, before you move into the area, why is Avengers Endgame in the middle? Sorry, that's an AUA within an AUA. Because it was a known entity that had never missed. Okay. That's why it's in the middle. Like, the misses were stuff like Thor the Dark World, where they immediately followed it up with something that, like, people watched. So. Yeah. I think what happened with Endgame, which is funny, is that I was like, okay, I liked Infinity War, but, you know, they're not going to miss. And I remember coming out and being like, oh, they, not only did they didn't miss, this was great. And, yeah, I'm curious to see... What happened? The only thing you missed around this, the story of James Cameron and what he did and how he got there was how he made his movie and then he lost the best director Oscar to his ex-wife, which I think is very funny. Oh, yeah. It's a, an incredible story. And as far as I can tell, they're still friendly as people. It's just sort of James Cameron wanted to go make his expensive movies and dive in the Marianas Trench in his submarine more than he wanted to be a husband. Oh, yeah. And, and Kathleen Bigelow won best directing for a, the complete opposite of Avatar in terms of expenditure, marketing, CGI. Like, uh -huh. the Hurt Locker, I mean, it has some great slow-mo. Yeah. But, you know. It's very stripped down. And, yeah, I mean, they're both war movies, but one's a little less outlandish. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, what do you have for me? If you could create a TV award ceremony from scratch, what would you do? You've kind of already gotten there, but like, what would you just do from the beginning about how these this voting works and how you would design this? This could also just be an episode topic, honestly. That's interesting because I think it would it it would definitely depend from when am I coming from. Mm -hmm. So. Let's say I was in charge of them from the perspective of. Uh, let's say I was Steven Soderbergh in last year's Oscars, and I was thinking, I need, I want people to watch it. 
because right now, you know, you want to find out live. So that's kind of why you do it. But like, I found live about everything from the Emmys in Twitter when it was fine. Yeah. You know, and there was a moment where Colonel O'Brien goes up the stairs and celebrates with Colbert, even though he lost. But yeah, you can see that later and it's fine. Right. I think there is something to be talked about of making live sports, sorry, making live things innovative. And I was, I say that because I was thinking, have you heard of what Monday Night Football is doing with the Mannings? No. Okay. So they have the main, the main um, broadcast. It's in ESPN. Regular, good old, you know, person play-by-play. Uh, play. Some analyst explains what's happening. We play whatever. Yeah. If you go to ESPN 2, they have the game. And then they show Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. They were both very famous quarterbacks. Peyton was the best I of all time. No, who they are. Sorry. The, yeah. uh, the Colts and... The Patriots? Yeah. Nope. Nice. The Giants? Peyton... Yes, Eli is Giants. There you go. And Colts I hate him because he beat yeah. the Patriots twice. Anyway. Look at me. Each... I got three guesses and I got... Two of them in three guesses, okay? Yeah, I'm pretty proud. Um, Thank you. Pretty good. So it's it's them watching the game. And you can see them live all the time. Like, they have a camera on their face. And they're yeah. just talking and showing and explaining. And is it, you know, completely revolutionary? It's not, but it makes me kind of want to watch it. Like, the game yesterday, I wasn't yeah. going to watch it. I was on the gym. And then I was like, oh, I heard about this Manning thing. I want to see that. That sounds interesting. So we talked about this in everywhere. But, like, there is something about... Making it, making it worthwhile to be live, and I think that's connected to what I was saying about the the awards themselves. What is right now the things that I care about as a consumer? Am I am I gonna watch Ted Lasso more because it won? Mm -hmm. Probably not. And do I want to discover the things that I haven't watched? Probably yes, but I do think it, like the format needs to change. And let me let me simmer this. Let me simmer on this for a week. And see what I come back to yeah. in terms of like more specific things, but I think the format is dead. Like the format of there is somebody talking, then they're going to introduce two people, the two people are going to come, they're going to say the five names, they're going to read it, they're going to come up, and they're going to be a speech. Yeah. Don't forever. Nobody needs that. What do you do I, instead? I don't know. I 100% agree with you here, and I think that that's a good enough answer to my question, which is. I don't know why. I think we talked about this with the Oscars, but I don't know why these things are televised to a mass audience anyway. Like, what's the purpose? Who cares? Like, at least the Tonys have fun, but... It's, it's what I was going to say. It's why the Tonys is the, is the best. Because yeah. you can actually see things. Right. It's, it's very strange. And like you said, nobody's going to watch the TV show necessarily because it won an Emmy in the same way they might an Oscar. And even then, it seems like a lot of work to televise this to an audience that doesn't care. I, I think you've hit it on the head with like contextualizing it, making it more of a live experience is fun. But ultimately, this is like the VMAs. It's like, who the hell cares about the VMAs? Or is somebody going to watch a music video because it won a VMA? No, 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 but probably more people watch the VMAs, I think. I don't, no? I don't know. Because, like, I, I was just watching on Twitter. There seemed to be more things last week because of the people and how they presented. And... Yeah. 
I mean, the performances, of course, but yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like make sketches or give me something live or give them. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I saw something. I the M is specifically is difficult. I saw something great on Twitter last week about the VMAs where it was it, somebody saying it's so weird that the MTV, MTV still hosts the VMAs because it's like if a pizza place became an H&R block and once a year it, it served pizza <laughs> on one night. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the good old days of waiting in MTV. I remember sitting in a hotel room uh-huh. Just waiting for a gorilla's movie video to play because I loved it, and it was the only way to watch it. You were much cooler than I. I, I did not just. I did not watch MTV until it was too late. Uh, until it was too late. With with the, I think you're right that the Emmys are just uniquely in a weird position because there's just so much. Everything falls kind of under the umbrella of the Emmys now. Yeah, like, and also the Emmys like. I think they're also the difference versus the the movies. You like I see Jason Sudeikis. I'm like, yeah, I see him once a week. Yeah. When I see Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt on the Oscar, it's like, oh yeah, they maybe do a movie every two years. Yeah. Or every three years, and it's like, oh fine, I want to see them, even though for whatever weird socialite celebrity, right? You know, yeah. Or whatever, but like there is even something about. Oh yeah, let's let's see what they have to say. Or I I want to see Adam Driver and think of good soup or whatever. But that's a TikTok joke, and uh, it's not a TikTok joke. It's girls, but it's a meme now. Uh, yeah, I think that's what makes the Emmys complicated. Well, I was hoping we would solve all of the issues around awards and the Emmys tonight, but we did not. No, I mean, let's think about it. If we come up with something fun, we should pitch it. You never know. The Stuckies? We're going to give out the Stuckies I mean, I mean like, year? I mean, like, pitch it to the Emmys, and then we can help them come up with something for next year. Well, we can do that and hold the Stuckies this year at the end of the year. The Stuckies? The Stuckies. You know, but you know what? I kind of like that. <laughs> like, actually, we should come up with something, then, like, we celebrate the types of things that we want to celebrate. What if the Stuckies are just us listening back to our old episodes and giving ourselves awards? <laughs> The best joke, the best Carl Ford reference, the best segue, the worst segue. The best segue is a good one. Yeah. I would love to hear a compendium of Carl's Ford references. I think that would actually be great. <laughs> you know, like an, almost like an in memoriam uh-huh. of all the sport references you got wrong. I think that would be fun. I think we anyway. Anyway, let's end the episode. But I like that. Let's explore the stocks. Anyway. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, we're back uh, to, uh, to a more regular cadence. Uh, this episode is probably going to drop a little bit closer to the one from last week, but thanks for bearing with us. And, Carl, this was super fun. Yeah. Hey, I'm sorry I brought bad energy at the beginning of this episode, but I'm hoping I'm ending it on a better place and better note here. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Catch you guys like next week. Bye. <laughs>